0: Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the 65th episode of the PJ Archive. It's an interview I did with the Zambian-born Zimbabwean singer Rosala, who's one of the all-time most successful dance artists thanks to hits like Everybody's Free and Are You Ready to Fly. I did this interview at Rosala's home in London in 1995, when she released her second studio album. Rosala, a new album, Look No Further. Tell us a bit about it.
1: Um, It took me a whole year, in fact, just over a year, to record Look No Further. And that was because of choosing and finding the right songs for the album. It being my second album as well, I wanted to broaden my horizons and enter doing different styles of music, like doing love songs, which are ballads, and mid-tempo tracks and dance tracks. So there I got Look No Further.
0: So you're pleased with it?
1: I'm very pleased. I'm really, really happy and um, I'm happy because I also worked with a, a whole string of different top producers like Jelly Bean, Frankie Knuckles, Diane Warren who wrote me the title of the album as well. Look no further. Writing a song for me from her was really a great honor because in my opinion she's one of the top five songwriters in the world.
0: When you made the album, did you know which ones would be the singles automatically?
1: We had an idea, you know, all we wanted was really good songs. We wanted the album to be an album of really good songs. I guess that's what every artist aims for, is to have really good songs. Though I must admit, yes, some of them we thought, yes, this is a possible single or it's a possible hit. And it really all depended upon the mix and how the vocals were done. So we all, you know, well, vocally myself, I I tried my best on all of them.
0: We've already had a couple of the singles out already. Do you think that's a good idea, to release an album after we've had a couple of singles?
1: Oh, definitely. It helps to promote the album. You know, it helps people aware that the album they buy buying has about two or three hit singles on it already instead of just releasing an unknown album or rather unknown singles and releasing the album and people have never heard, you know, any songs from the album. I think it's it's much more easier for yourself, you know, having a few hits singles from the album so you know people know that they they're buying songs on the album that they know of and possibly the rest they haven't heard of will be just as good so i think it's um, a good marketing <laughs> plan <laughs> to sell the album talk
0: us through the singles we've had so far
1: well for my second album the first single that was released was uh, i love music which was from the movie kalito's way which was the first soundtrack to be released and we thought we'd Get that on the album as well, which was really great, and which was a really good comeback for me because I'd been away for about two years. So it was really good because the movie gave me a really, you know, good warm-up to to the album.
0: It must be quite nice for you to have a great song and a great movie.
1: Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, you know, if I can, I would prefer to keep away from doing cover versions. You know, and uh, I didn't really want to do too much of that at this point in my co- in my career. I think I'd rather do it when when I'm more established. But, um, you know, it turned out good. It was a great opportunity. It was different. I made the song become my own, and it, the original artists were male singers, you know, so I thought it sounded different being the fact that I was female. And,
0: and it also meant you got to dance with Al Pacino, didn't it? Tell us a bit about that.
1: <laughs> Most importantly, dance with Al. That was really strange. I um, met him a week before I was due to fly out and perform at the gala premiere where I was going to hopefully get to meet al pacino and the rest of the other stars and uh, he was having dinner at this restaurant in london and i went up and introduced myself he probably thought i was some fan coming up to him you know but um i told him who i was i started dropping all these names like jellybean uh talking about the gala premiere next week and what time i'd be on stage and he was probably wondering how come this girl knows all these things you know and um then he got excited and introduced me to all the people he was with and he offered me to have drinks with them and we ended up dancing and waltzing.
0: Was he very as nice drop-dead gorgeous as we're led to believe?
1: He is really good-looking, actually. I mean, he's a bit too old for me, actually. <laughs> but, um, you know, I guess uh, he's, he's a very charming man. You know, any woman would fall in love with Alpacino. Really very nice man.
0: Now, to get back to your album, uh, the second single from the album was?
1: The second single was This Time I Found Love which was written for me by a young producer who was called Ollie J. And uh, th- at the time, he was only 18. He really impressed me, and he really impressed my A&R guy as well. For me, that single didn't really peak too high in the charts, you know, but um, still I was happy that it entered the top 40. You know, for me, if it just goes in at 40, I'm really happy. But at the same time, I don't want to get too caught into chart positions and what number you went in at. You know, I'm just really happy making good music you know but um you get drawn into all this chart position thing and everything and it's very very difficult to ignore you know but having said that you know it still made a hit and you know you continue to look onwards and forwards which gets me to the third single <laughs> and uh, the third single is called never love the same way twice it was very special doing that song because it was written for me by three songwriters I, don't, well, I wouldn't say it was written specifically for me, but I was r- looking for that type of song which had a 70s, 60s feel, but was also very in with the 90s. So it was written by Rick Knowles, David Mundy, and Lamont Dozier. And Lamont, you know, I used to see his name on all these Motown artists like uh, Dinah Ross, with the Franklin, possibly the OJs. I mean, Lamont Dozier's name for me was every, everywhere. It was either... Lamont, Holland, Dozier, you know, that sort of thing. So it was a great honor in one of his songs and I also uh, got to speak to him over the telephone. Unfortunately, we didn't meet because it was whereby I was in the studio and uh, I was flying out from London to go to New York and he was flying in on there I was leaving, you know, so... Um, but we did speak and he was very pleased I was covering his song.
0: Now, you mentioned uh, cover versions earlier on. You're actually doing a cover version of Losing My Religion by R.E.M., right. which I would have thought was a very brave thing to do, considering how recent that was a hit.
1: Yeah, well, the reason I agreed to do that was because two guys called DNA, who go by the name of both Neil and Neil, uh, sent um, a demo track of the song to my a guy and said, we'd really like Rosala to cover this, you know, please play it to her. We think she'd be the perfect vocalist to put down a vocal on this track. And uh, I got into my N.R. guy's studio. He played me the track on tape, not telling me that it was for me or the plans behind it. And it sounded totally different. It, it had a guide vocal, you know, and uh, the song sounded completely different to the original. It's a dance track. It's really up-tempo. It was just com- a, a whole new song altogether. And I loved it because, like you know, I'm into dance music. That's where I'm coming from. And uh, I agreed to do it because of that. You know, it was completely different. The only way you would know it's an REM track is like if one really knows the lyrics and everybody knows the line, Losing My Religion. You know, so, you know, when a lot of people have seen the title to Losing My Religion, my album, that is one of the titles that jumps out at them. You know, whether it's a dice thing or not, I mean, I, you know, I guess it is, but... You know, like I say, what I have got going for me on this this is My Religion track is it's very different. It's a dance track and it's not a, a replica of the original.
0: Now, in the inside cover of this album, is quite a, a raunchy picture of you, really. Was that a deliberate thing to sort of make a sexy image?
1: <laughs> I've always been sexy, darling. <laughs> <laughs> do
0: you like... normally wear clothes like that?
1: Well, <laughs> I do. I mean, you know, it's, it's all part of the whole image thing. It's all part of You know, just the same thing like the music. It's just all a part of entering and broadening my horizons. And um, vocally, for one, I think my vocals have really matured in comparison to the songs on my last album. I think I've also matured and become a bit more of a woman or more of a woman or however you'd like to see me.
0: So you wanted to show us that?
1: (laughs) Well, you decide. (laughs) But um, I was very happy to, you know, pose with I mean, it's not completely naked or anything of the sort. It's just like an illusion. So I think that's what I'll say about that.
0: Now, you've obviously had a a great deal of success before this album. Do you feel a lot of pressure on you because you've had such massive hit singles?
1: Yeah, there is a bit of pressure, you know, but um, I try not to think about it too much. Pressure in the sense that people have a a great expectancy of you and uh, they want you to probably have bigger hits than your last... You know, so they're always looking at that. But uh, again, like I said earlier, I don't want to get caught up in that. You know, all I can do as an artist is make good music and go out there, give a great performance, and do my best. You know, and what happens out there is really beyond my control.
0: Do you still enjoy performing those original hits of yours?
1: I love performing them. Mm. I really love performing them. Um, a lot of journalists have thought, you know, either are you ashamed of your last hits? Yeah, things like that, you know, or do you not want to do them because that's from your past? But that's a part of my life, and that's part of what got me to where I am today.
0: Can we just briefly go through them, uh, the three big ones, particularly Faith and the Power of Love, Everybody's Free, Are You Ready to Fly? Can you just talk me through the little stories behind them?
1: Well, Everybody's Free, uh, which was my first huge hit single, was written for me by the Band of Gypsies. Uh, In fact, all my three major hits were written for me by the Band of Gypsies. Everybody's Free... The Band of Gypsies just got a, a bit of a line to it and they called me to the studio and said, you know, just start singing this chorus over and over again. And uh, that's how Everybody's Free became Everybody's Free. I, didn't, I had no idea it was going to be a hit because we'd already released Faith in the Power of Love, which went top 75 and we were aiming for top 40 chart success, mainly recognition. Then Everybody's Free was released and that became a huge hit. And Faith in the Power of Love was was re-released, and that became another huge hit. And uh, this was was like such a whirlwind for me, you know. And it was followed by Are You Ready to Fly? So it was one hit after one hit after one hit. And the thing about it was it wasn't just in one country. It was in practically the whole world. (laughs) So I had this schedule that just came from nowhere, you know. And... um, I was travelling, I I mean, I was on tour for like 18 months, non-stop, you know, and spending as little time in London, you know, or, and if I was in London, I was travelling, you know, up and down the whole of the UK.
0: Now, talking of countries, you're originally from Zimbabwe, and yet you speak and obviously sing in perfect English. Right. Do you? Do, when you first started singing... Um, these songs in English. Did you actually understand everything that going on, or has English always been your first language?
1: English has always been my first language. My parents sent me to an English-speaking school, uh, that's the language they wanted me to learn fluently and the best, which I really appreciate because, well, as you can hear, that's my first language, but I do wish they sent me to learn the traditional language as well. You know, now that I'm older, I can speak it very, very little, not fluently at all, so I don't even bother asking me. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, English is, you know, my main language.
0: Yeah, we said you're from Zimbabwe. Were you from a musical family as well?
1: Well, actually, no, they're all tone deaf. (laughs) But they love listening to music, you know. Um, I hear my sister Marlene singing now now and again, and I sometimes wonder, you know, she sounds like she has a good voice, so maybe one day in the future I'd like her to do backing vocals for me. You know, but otherwise they're very much into music and, um, you know, things like that. Um, I must also say that I was... Originally born in Zambia, you know, so I'm actually Zambian by birth, and uh, then we moved to Zimbabwe, and so, which makes me a Zimbabwean resident.
0: A lot of um, big rock stars and things are using African influences in their music. Do you right. feel an African, a Zambian, a Zimbabwean influence in your music?
1: Um, not at the moment. It's all very strictly Westernised. Though, having said that, my last hits, uh, the mixes of "Everybody's Free," and "Faith," and "Born to Love You," which was one of my very first hits. There were African ethnic mixes, you know, done for it, like having rhythm guitar in the front of it, or playing an African ins- instrument called an imbaquanga. And come again? An Kwanga, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but it sounded great because of these pianos so sort the of synth sounds, you know, and these uh, percussion drums and everything. For me, it was very important to have that, and that was done in the mixes. So it's still very important to me. And hopefully, in the future, I'll get to also working with um, African artists.
0: So how does the name Rosala come about?
1: My father called named me Rosala. He called me Rosala. And uh, I've never heard anyone else called Rosala apart from when I went to Australia. Um, I saw a postcard with a Rosala bird. And although it was spelled differently, but the, spell, the, the pronunciation was the same as Rosala. And then another time I went into a grocery shop and I saw a Rosala jelly. <laughs> And that's the only time I've ever heard of anyone or anything called Rosella, so I, I don't know where my dad got the name Rosella.
0: What does a Rosella bird and a Rosella jelly look like?
1: Well, the Rosella jelly looked like strawberry jam. It was red strawberry jam, and uh, so that made me laugh, you know. And so all my friends would say, "Hey, Rosella jelly, Rosella jelly." And when I went to Australia about two years ago, um, I saw this postcard that I sent to all my friends because I was like, "Wow, this, you know, Rosella, Rosella bird." It was a parrot-like sort of bird with the brightest colors you've ever seen. A very beautiful bird. A very, very beautiful Rosella bird. <laughs> and there you go. There you go. And what's your full name, then? Rosella Sandro is my middle name, and Miller is my surname.
0: Where did you get your interest in music originally, and where did you get this incredible, powerful voice of yours?
1: Um, I guess the voice came from God. <laughs> Um, I must say, it's a natural talent, and um, I've just always wanted to be a singer all my life, you know, and uh, I guess ever since I can remember, I used to tell my mum and dad I wanted to be a singer, you know, and so I first started performing at the early age of 13, and ever since, it was all go.
0: There aren't many big stars to have come out of Zimbabwe. The only person I can think of is Bruce Grobler, and we don't really talk right. about much of him of the <laughs> But do you, Is that a great thing for Zimbabwe? Are you a big star over there now?
1: Oh, yeah, they're very proud. I went home earlier this year. I, must, I, I noticed the difference in the way the people reacted to me as far as the media When, For instance, they heard I was in town. Excuse me, they went crazy. You know, they started calling my mom. Luckily, at the time, my mom moved into a new house, so we didn't have a telephone installed. And the only way they could get us was at my mom's workshop. So the phone never stopped ringing, and my mom even said, "I wish I had my business calls coming in this much." And um, I, I did a few uh, radio interviews that were live, and they had people phoning in, and some of the calls were, you know, really made me feel emotional. They were saying the most fantastic things of how proud they are of me. One caller said, "You know, I really don't care." even if you're not living in Zimbabwe and you're living in England, you're just making us proud. And, you know, and just keep at it. And one caller said, you know, you're the pearl of Africa. And all these wonderful things. So um, it was quite emotional for me. Then the TV stations, usually when you do TV interviews, you go to the stations. Oh, no, they came to my house <laughs> in Zimbabwe. And there were these TV cars parked outside and doing an interview with me, you know, at the house in Zimbabwe. So all that really made me realize, wow, you know.
0: It's a fairly different story to how you started out. You started out as a receptionist, didn't you, at the record company?
1: No, I used to work as a receptionist at various uh, different companies doing temp work. And at the same time, I'd be performing in the evenings or going to the studio to record singles or whatever um, during weekends or when I had time off. And that's how I started that.
0: So how did you get your break as a singer?
1: Well, in Zimbabwe, um, I was with a band. So we'd perform every weekend around Zimbabwe, and uh, again, like I say, whenever I had time off, and because I was doing temp work, it wasn't like I was doing permanent work, Mm -hmm. I'd be in the studio recording, and I managed to get myself a record deal in Zimbabwe with a local record company. They released five tracks, five singles, that I did for them, and they all were very successful for, for me in Zimbabwe. And that's when I realized, after the Five singles and the success I had. I was still working as a receptionist, something I didn't want to be doing. You know, I wanted to do music and make a living out of doing music, out of what I loved doing, and I couldn't achieve that. You know, and everywhere I went to Zimbabwe, people knew me. You know, and uh, I'd still have to have a daytime job. People would walk into the office and say, "Oh, I know that girl. I saw you on TV. Can I do- have your autograph?" It was quite difficult having to pick up the phone every now and again and sign autographs and in a certain sense, it was a bit embarrassing as well. I also realized that, you know, I'd reached my peak in Zimbabwe because it's a small country, it's a small market, and had I stayed doing that, I wouldn't have gotten anywhere. So, um, being the ambitious person that I am, I thought, let me head for London, you know, where it's more competitive and where it's even more seriously taken.
0: You mentioned that, that one caller who'd been very nice about you coming over to England, but, I mean, do you think there was a fair, fair feeling of resentment that you'd betrayed them in any sense by coming over here?
1: I don't think so, you know, because they feel happy enough that I talk about Zimbabwe and always mention that I'm Zimbabwean, you know, and uh, in that sense, whenever, like, again, when I went home to Zimbabwe, the newspapers always touched on the fact that she's our home girl, and take note she never, ever dismisses Zimbabwe. She always mentions she's from Zimbabwe. So just that makes them happy. And again, the Zambians also get very, you know, uh, edgy about it. And they, again, when I went to Zimbabwe, the DJs were saying, born and bred in Zambia, on loan to Zimbabwe <laughs> and recorded in the UK.
0: <laughs> is that how you feel about yourself as well? Or do you feel that Zimbabwe is still your home and that's where you'd like to be?
1: Very much so. I love Zimbabwe. It's a beautiful country. Uh, my immediate family all live there. You know, the only family I have here, obviously, is my sister who's come to university. And I have an aunt that's living out of London. And the rest of my, all my family live in Zimbabwe. And I have relatives in Zambia as well.
0: Tell us a bit more about yourself. Because, you know, obviously we know your records very well. We don't know much about you, though. Um, tell us how old you are. And you're not married, kids, and...
1: Um, how old am Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do Big I, secret. My, I, a woman doesn't like giving her age. I mean... I don't mind, I'll give you my age, I'm 30, mm-hmm. I'm 30 years old, and um, I'm not married, but I am currently seeing someone, so that's very nice, because I only just started seeing him, so um, I hope it lasts.
0: What sort of things do you like doing away from your work? I and mean, Do you go out clubbing a lot, that sort of thing? We imagine you must be doing that all the time.
1: Not really, because I'm always doing club PAs as part of my promotional package, so in that sense, you know, I've gotten to see a lot of nightclubs across the country, which is Great, which is fantastic. But, um, you know, socially I prefer going out to private parties. I love going out for quiet dinners. I love, love, my best pastime is staying at home. I love staying at home.
0: You met a few big showbiz stars. You mentioned Al Pacino earlier on. You've actually toured with Michael Jackson, which must have been quite something.
1: That was the biggest thrill of my career up to date. And um, I was on tour with him for three months in 1992, his dangerous tour. And when I heard the news, I just, I almost flipped because I grew up and Michael Jackson was one of my my fans in my childhood years, and never in my life did I ever dream I'd be on tour with him or meet all the people that I'm meeting today.
0: You mean you were one of Michael Jackson's fans? Yes.
1: I was one of Michael Jackson's fans and the Jackson Five, you know, and I mean, as a child or... Just anybody, whether you're an adult as well, you always think to yourself, well, yeah, you'll see these people on TV, or you're going to watch their concerts if you're able to afford their tickets or things like that. But never in your wildest dreams would you ever think you would rubbing shoulders with them or sharing the same stage, and that was something.
0: And even kissing him backstage, I hear.
1: And even kissing him, it was really, really fantastic, you know. What, kissing him? (laughs) Tell, Tell us the story of that. Well, that came about because uh, it was the last day of the tour, and I was on tour with him for three months. And uh, I was really grateful, so I met him again for the second time. And uh, he was hugging me. He was so down-to-earth, really, really nice guy. And uh, I said, you know, I want to kiss you and thank you. And he was like, oh, yeah. And he kissed me straight on my lips, and I didn't expect that. I thought he was going to kiss me on my cheek. I said, no, I think you have to give me another kiss for the road because your little curl came in the front so I pulled it out of the way and he kissed me and I said I think one more for the road again because I'm flying and he burst out laughing so he kissed me again on my lips so that was three kisses from Michael and um, he just didn't want to hear about me thanking him he was like you're great you know he was very complimentary and he wished me all the luck he signed an autographed picture picture for me from him
0: are you staying in touch?
1: unfortunately no you know I would have loved you but um You know, just having been on tour with him is such a great memory for me, and I always treasure it.
0: You say that, I mean, where do you go from there? I mean, Michael Jackson, you can't get any bigger than that, can you?
1: I know, I was thinking, well, which other big artist would I like to perform with, or support, rather? And I think Michael, it always goes back to Michael. I believe he's going on tour next year, so, you know, maybe he'll ask me to be a support act again next year. But um, it was really hard work. You know, it it really educated me, being on the road for three months and travelling the whole of Europe, it's really really tough.
0: It's would you tough. like to be as big as Michael Jackson?
1: Musically I guess I would but um, the other thing that puts me off is uh, the prime, into privacy and uh, all that comes with it I suppose puts me off. You know I just I would just like to become a concert act and move out of the nightclub scene into performing at venues with a band you know whether I become as big as Michael or not doesn't make any difference to me. Just as long as I'm, you know, people know of me and they are fans of mine, and they, you know, when Rosella's doing a show, they've heard of me and they can say, well, you know, let's go and watch a Rosella show. I'd be happy enough with that.
0: He's had a heck of a lot of bad publicity, and so on. how do you feel about all the stuff that's been thrown at him?
1: I feel very sad for him, especially after I met him. You know, and he was really down to earth and he was completely normal, really, really normal guy, and that really amazed me. You know, and he kept hugging me at every moment. In fact, I don't remember him ever letting me go. He just kept on holding me and talking to me. It was like I was his sister or his best friend. All these things, these accusations and the way he's portrayed by the media are really, really sad. When you're as big as someone like Michael or basically when you're a big star, I think most big stars are very vulnerable. And it's difficult to go around the whole world telling millions of people that, what you're reading in the tabloids about me, is not true. You know, it's very difficult. How normal a life can you lead? At the moment, very normal, thank God. I mean, you know, I'm still able to catch the tubes if I want to. I can still jump on the bus without a problem. I can stop the cab on the road. Very few people recognize me, which at this stage in my career and life is very flattering for me because it's, you know, it's all very good words and good things they say about me. So most of the time I go by un- Unrecognized, which is really nice.
0: A lot of your fellow pop and rock stars, including Michael Jackson, have done a bit of acting here and there. Uh, do you fancy doing a bit of that or trying some diversions in your career?
1: Acting really hasn't been something on my agenda. It's been more music and building my career and going to the next level and just basically climbing from there and putting my band together, my singers together and you know that sort of thing. But having said that, ever since I started travelling to America, more so Los Angeles, you know, people have been saying to me, uh, "Oh, you know, you should try dabbling in a bit of acting or doing this and that, you know." And um, I guess it, it would be interesting. I I don't think I'd turn it away. It would just depend on what sort of a part you were offered. It would be fun. Why not?
0: Now that we've got you from Zimbabwe, we're not going to lose you to America, are we? <laughs>
1: Oh, no, I, I, I've grown to love London a great deal, you know, and um, moving is one big stressful thing. But uh, again, it depends on the huge contracts and, you know, your line of work. I mean, you spend three quarters of your life working, and, you know, I want to reach my peak in my career. I'm very ambitious, and I know that I won't be doing this forever, but I'd like to obviously sing for the rest of my life, but reach my peak in the sense that, When I'm there, I'm able to choose and pick what I want to do and what I don't want to do. At this moment in time, I can't do that. So if I'm offered something really good in America, say, for the whole year or so, I'll take it. But I can't see myself living there. I love London too much.
0: You mentioned your agenda earlier on. What about a tour from you? What's the plans?
1: Well, I'm hoping to start putting a little small band together next year, Um, obviously to go out and start promoting the album and getting the album established. And the more established the album becomes, the more bigger everything. This year, I'm just basically doing um, promotional work like TVs, uh, radio, stuff like I'm doing with you. And uh, I have a few nightclub dates set up as well that I'm doing around the country and out of the country, but mostly in the country because I want to be in England, London for Christmas. So I'm here.
0: Finally, what's your dream at this stage? What would you like to see happen?
1: Um, I guess, you know, have as many albums in front of me or rather at the back of me and just continue recording and building my career and just basically growing and entering broader horizons. That's my dream.